Hey, man, how's it going, y'all? Welcome to the show. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. All you collectivists out there. Man, virtually everyone in the world is more collectivist than me. That may sound like a collectivist statement, but it's true. Because I am the most individualist of all. I guess. Apparently. Or something. Anyway. It's my show and I hate the wars. That's the thing, man. I'm just trying to... I'm trying to discredit the wars by telling the simple truth about them. That's... Ow. Basically the name of the game. And sometimes I bite my cheek really hard. And have to stop talking for a moment. Ah, what could have been. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's my show, Scott Horton Show. ScottHorton.org is the website. LibertyRadioNetwork.com is the place where they do the redistributing of the signal there, I guess. Just the distributing, not the redistributing. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, there's that, uh, the chat room, scotthorton.org slash chat, if you want to hang out with them. What's up, guys? How's things? Cool. All right. Today on the show, Jason Leopold is going to be on to talk about a CIA officer arrested in Portugal to be extradited, I think, question mark, to Italy. In a CIA torture and rendition case? Rendition and torture case, maybe I should say. Wow. Well, a Portuguese court has ruled that. I don't think she's landed on the ground in Italy yet, so we'll see what happens. There's no such thing as the rule of law when it comes to the government of the United States, so. They pretty much do what they want. Uh, but anyway, so we'll see about that. And Jason Leopold, uh, well, he knows all about it. He wrote this great article a couple of years back, a year and a half ago. I think I interviewed him about it at the time, actually. But, uh, so anyway, very important story to discuss there. And then let's see, uh, Barry Lando can't do the show. He's going to do the show. Oh, no. I guess I don't know, but I'm hoping he can do the show tomorrow. And I guess it's my new habit now that I try to interview him every January about Iraq War One in nineteen ninety one. Check it out Saturday. Escaped my attention until this morning. Saturday was the twenty fifth anniversary of Iraq War One. That's how long America's been bombing them. America stopped bombing Iraq for about Two years, I guess. Three years. Between 2010 and 2013. And then, blam, bombs again. Slight break in there. Otherwise, 25 years. And of course, in the meantime, there's still civil war raging that America started. and Might as well have been American bombs as far as responsibility goes. 25 years. America's been bombing Iraq. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I'll probably maybe talk a little bit about that today, but I'm going to interview Barry Lando, hopefully tomorrow about it on the show. You know what? I'm kind of glad he couldn't do the show today because that gives me a chance to possibly get uh, into his book a little bit. I have it. 
You wrote a great book, uh, something about deceit, web of lies, and something. I don't know. Anyway, um, let's see if I can get that read. But yeah, man, like David Stockman says, that was the original sin. I wish I could get David Stockman to ever answer me, man. I need to try harder, get his phone number or something again. I've interviewed him before, and he's great, man. He wrote something about uh, that basically started with the first Gulf War. That George Bush, he was no real Reaganite like us. <laughs> this is Stockman talking, not me. Uh. He did the wrong thing. He listened to Henry Kissinger and the neocons and the Hawks and the British. And man, he ruined everything. Just ruined everything. He's like Woodrow freaking Wilson, that George Bush senior. Just, no, wait, don't, oh. Damn. And of course, you know, his son... It was an unforced error to then quadruple his father's terrible decisions when he got his chance. But anyway, yeah, this is my life. I sit around worried all day about a war that happened 25 years ago. To no end. <laughs> this drives me nuts. I was just writing about it yesterday. Anyway, uh, so yeah, there's that. Uh, uh, oh, and McAdams, I wanted to interview uh, Daniel McAdams or Ron. Neither of them could do it, but I want to talk with them about Iran. I want to talk with Ron about Iran. Didn't get a chance, but there's a lot of great news about the nuclear deal. I guess since we're almost out of time for this segment... I want to do my MLK Day stuff in the next segment. I don't want to spend too much time on good news. Because that's not really the nature of the program here. I'll just spend the last couple of minutes of this segment pointing out that, hey man, they did it. Implementation Day was day before yesterday. On Saturday. Interestingly, on the 25th anniversary of the first Gulf War. I don't know. No correlation or causation there so much. Sort of. But anyway. Yeah, so point being, that's it. The IAEA certified that the Iranians have vastly widened the inspections regime, allowed the IAEA to vastly expand their inspections regime. They've converted Fordo from an enrichment facility to a research facility with no nuclear material in it. They've converted all of their 20% and 3.6% uranium-235 to fuel plates and fuel rods for use in their medical isotope reactor and in the Boucher and Iraq reactor, and they have shipped all the rest out to Russia, leaving them no stockpile of even low-enriched uranium. They have uh, removed the core of the a rock reactor, and they're going to replace it and build a light water reactor in its place that produces plutonium waste that is so polluted with other isotopes that it's virtually impossible to use it for nuclear weapons, and especially considering how the Iranians don't have the reprocessing facility anyway, and of course the 
IAEA will be inspecting and safeguarding everything all along. Um, also, the IAEA has closed the file on the so-called possible military dimensions, which were all a bunch of nonsense. Anyway, there was the smoking laptop, which was an Israeli forgery. There were the American intercept teletypes, which were basically all misunderstandings, as concluded by the IAEA. Uh, dual-use technology that, in fact, were for the less dangerous explanation each and every case. You can read all about it in the IAEA reports uh, and or in Gareth Porter's great book, Manufactured Crisis. And then there was the 2011 um, Israeli accusations, none of which held up. Uh, most prominently, of course, uh, was the accusations about the Parchin explosives testing chamber. That was nothing but a hoax and a myth all along. And we all knew it all along, and now it's proven. So um, the IAEA certified, that's it, man, they did it. We got inspections at the centrifuge facilities and the mines, and we got insp- expanded cameras and sensors and whatever we want all over the freaking place. And so the sanctions are lifted. And you know what? Immediately they started doing trade with America and Europe. Buying a bunch of planes and guess who? Guess what? Spare parts from the United States of America, as their planes have been falling out of the skies for generations because America was boy- boycotting any airplane spare parts to them, embargoing up until now. First thing they did was go to Washington State and buy some from Boeing. Don't you get sick of the Israel lobby trying to get us into more wars in the Middle East, or always abusing Palestinians with your tax dollars? It once seemed like the lobby would always have full-spectrum dominance on the foreign policy discussion in D.C. But those days are over. The Council for the National Interest is the America lobby, standing up and pushing back against the Israel lobby's undue influence on Capitol Hill. Go show some support at councilforthenationalinterest.org. That's councilforthenationalinterest.org. I love Bitcoin, but there's just something incredibly satisfying about having real, fine silver in your pocket. That's why commodity disks are so neat. They're one-ounce rounds of fine silver with a QR code on the back. Just grab your smartphone's QR reader, scan the coin, and you'll instantly get the silver spot price in Federal Reserve Notes and Bitcoin. And if you donate 100 bucks to The Scott Horton Show, he'll send you one. Learn more at Facebook.com slash Commodity Disks. CommodityDisks.com All right, y'all. So I'm Scott. It's my show. I should mention, by the way, that um, uh, Obama immediately turned around as soon as they got the uh, the captives out, which was part of uh, the secret part of the Iran nuclear deal negotiations that we weren't made aware of. As soon as they uh, got the sanctions lifted, they sprang all the Americans in prison there, five of them. And... Uh, of course, all the conservatives cry about that, that Iranian Ameri- uh, uh, Iranians imprisoned by America were released in exchange. I guess they should have done like Ronald Reagan and sent them missiles instead. Stupid conservative hypocrites. Anyway, um, that's not really the point. The point is that as soon as the prisoners were freed, as soon as the sanctions were lifted, Obama turned around and put new sanctions on them in the name of their missiles and defying U.N. resolutions restricting their missiles. And these are, of course, missiles that um, they're completely outmatched by the Saudis, the Israelis, the Americans, the Pakistanis, I guess not the Afghans. 
Uh, I don't know about Azerbaijan. Certainly the Russians. I'm going around all of Iran's neighbors. America's one of their neighbors, too. Our Navy, of course. Um, and they got no nukes. And they're not making nukes. And they certainly ain't got no miniaturized nukes. And the Sahab 3 missile couldn't fit a nuke on it anyway. And it ain't about nukes. It's just about their ability, what, to shoot back? Who says that these are aggressive warfare threat at all? Who says that, um, who says that it's the UN or the US's business whether Iran has ballistic missiles? They're not three stage intercontinental ballistic missiles and they ain't got no nukes to put on them anyway, even if they were. And so that son of a bitch. And what's funny is, um, on Twitter, everybody was laughing that Hillary Clinton came out immediately for new sanctions on Iran. And everyone's going, this lunatic woman. And then right after that, Obama announced the new, or I guess that was night before last. And then, and then in the morning, Obama came out announcing the new sanctions 12 hours later. Funny. So anyway, I don't want no alliance with Iran. I just want to end the Cold War with Iran. Uh, which, of course, the rest of America's allies in the region do not, which is a problematic problem. But anyway. So now I'm talking about Martin Luther King for a second here. So the deal is, especially for you young people, I don't know what you know about things and stuff. You know, anyway, I'm okay, uh, Junior. He is the patron saint of the civil rights movement. Uh, you know, not Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King. And of course, the, the most famous soundbite is something along the lines of, come on, y'all be cool. Stop being such jerks to us all the time just because of what we look like and who we are is stupid. And somehow, finally, that got through to enough people to make a difference or something. That's, that's why he's famous. That's why he's the patron saint of of civil rights and anti-racism in America. It's not because of everything he ever said, which nobody ever pays any attention to, uh, some of which was great and some of which was not. But anyway, um, that's basically why he's gone down in history that way. And rightly so. I'm not complaining about that. I'm saying that's who he is in the American, you know, psyche, whatever kind of thing. But so um, my point, because I'm an anti-war guy, is about anti-war stuff, of course, and if you listen to the live show, like you guys are listening to right now, you always hear at the top of the second hour, the uh, intro clip that plays ends with Martin Luther King calling the U.S. government the greatest purveyor of violence on the face of the earth. And the reason I like playing that so much is because, in fact, the greatest and the worst, greatest by biggest and most, you know, overwhelming or whatever, the, the worst political correctness in America isn't so much about race. It's nationalism. It's that, oh, nervous, icky, weird feeling you get when someone says something bad about the U.S. government. To say that the U.S. government is not on the side of freedom, is not on the side of justice, hates justice and freedom, in fact, more than anything. To say that the U.S. government is the greatest purveyor of violence on the face of the planet Earth is absurd. 
not for any factual reason, but because our feelings know better. That just couldn't be true. Wah! Cry 300 million Americans if anybody says that to them. And yet, who is it? It's Martin Luther King. The martyred patron saint of... Please, God damn, for a minute, let's start thinking about treating people fairly. Right? Like, he's he's what people think of as the best of us. And, you know, in the pol- political correctness in the very best way. And it's Martin Luther King, America's minister, America's conscience, says America's government is the worst thing the planet Earth has going for it right now. Now, either he's crazy or your emotions are retarded and illegitimate. And what's funny about it, of course, is that at the time that he said that, in the midst of the Vietnam War, the communist government of China was by far the greatest purveyor of violence on the face of the earth. 1967? Are you kidding me? Right? Yeah, April 30th, 1967? There's no way that LBJ was out ahead of Mao Zedong at that point. But anyway, point taken, MLK, because second place to Mao Zedong, Lyndon Johnson, and then Richard Nixon, who killed millions and millions of Vietnamese, Laotians, and Cambodians, and for a bunch of crap, and all to lose anyway, and then turn Cambodia over to Pol Pot. So that Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan could ally with him. Oh, yeah. Uh, madness. But anyway, so that's, I, I think it's important. I think, you know why? Because I remember having my feelings hurt a little bit the first time I ever heard that. Just as much as the rest of you. I'm a government school victim, brainwashed from birth. To identify my own life with that of the state, the United State of America. On some level, well, not anymore or whatever, I'm growing up now. But I'm talking about at the time when I first heard that, it made me feel funny. The greatest purveyor of violence on the face of the earth? Gulp, let me think about that for a second. Well, there's Mao, but then after that, he's kind of got a point there. Now, you can run like hell toward all your post hoc rationalizations if you want to, but that's what they are, and you have to admit that. You have to. Not because I say so, but because MLK Jr. does. So, you're a libertarian, and you don't believe the propaganda about government awesomeness you were subjected to in fourth grade. You want real history and economics. Well, learn in your car from professors you can trust with Tom Woods's Liberty Classroom. And if you join through the Liberty Classroom link at scotthorton.org, we'll make a donation to support The Scott Horton Show. Liberty Classroom, the history and economics they didn't teach you. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. 
and I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. The time has come for America to hear the truth about this tragic war. I've chosen to preach about the war in Vietnam today because I agree with Dante that the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in a period of moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. There comes a time when silence is betrayal. The truth of these words is beyond doubt, but the mission to which they call us is a most difficult one. Even when pressed by the demands of inner truth, men do not easily assume the task of opposing their government's policy, especially in time of war. Nor does the human spirit move without great difficulty. Against all the apathy of conformist thought within one's own bosom, there has never been such a monumental dissent during a war by the American people. Polls reveal that almost 15 million Americans explicitly oppose the war in Vietnam. Additional millions cannot bring themselves around to support it. This reveals that millions have chosen to move beyond the prophesying of smooth patriotism to the high grounds of firm dissent based upon the mandates of conscience and the reading of history. Now, of course, one of the difficulties in speaking out today grows out of the fact that there are those who are seeking to equate dissent with disloyalty. And it's a dark day in our nation when high-level authorities will seek to use every method to silence dissent. Something is happening and people are not going to be silent. The truth must be told. And I say that those who are seeking to make it appear that anyone who opposes the war in Vietnam is a fool or a traitor or an enemy of our soldiers is a person who has taken a stand against the best in our tradition, many persons have questioned me about the wisdom of my path. Why are you speaking about the war, Dr. King? Why are you joining the voices of dissent? Peace and civil rights don't mix, they say. And so this morning I speak to you on this issue. Because I am determined 
to take the gospel seriously. There is at the outset a very obvious and almost facile connection between the war in Vietnam and the struggle I and others have been waging in America. A few years ago, there was a shining moment in that struggle. It seemed as if there was a real promise of hope for the poor, both black and white, through the poverty program. Then came the build-up in Vietnam, and I watched the program broken as if it was some idle political plaything of a society gone mad on war. And I knew that America would never invest the necessary funds or energies in rehabilitation of its poor, so long as adventures like Vietnam continue to draw men and skills and money like some demonic destructive suction tube. And you may not know it, my friends, but it is estimated that we spend $500,000 to kill each enemy soldier while we spend only $53 for each person classified as poor. And much of that $53 goes for salaries to people who are not poor. And so I was increasingly compelled to see the war as an enemy of the poor and attack it as such. Perhaps the more tragic recognition of reality took place when it became clear to me that the war was doing far more than devastating the hopes of the poor at home. It was sending their sons and their brothers and their husbands to fight and die in extraordinarily high proportion relative to the rest of the population. We were taking the black young men who had been crippled by society and sending them 8,000 miles away to guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in Southwest Georgia and East Harlem. So we have been repeatedly faced with the cruel irony of watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schoolroom. So we watched them in brutal solidarity, burning the huts of a poor village. But we realized that they would hardly live on the same block in Chicago or Atlanta. As I have walked among the desperate, rejected, and angry young men, I have told them that Molotov cocktails and rifles would not solve their problems. But they ask, and rightly so, what about Vietnam? They ask if our own nation wasn't using massive doses of violence to solve its problem. 
And I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. America and most of its newspapers applauded me in Montgomery. And I stood before thousands of Negroes getting ready to riot when my home was bombed and said, we can't do it this way. They applauded us in the sit-in movement. We nonviolently decided to sit in at lunch counters. They applauded us on the freedom rides when we accepted blows without retaliation. Oh, the press was so noble in its applause and so noble in its praise when I was saying, be nonviolent toward Bull Connor. There's something strangely inconsistent about a nation and a press that will praise you when you say, be nonviolent toward Jim Clark, but will curse and damn you when you say, be nonviolent toward little brown Vietnamese children. There's something wrong with that press. More in a minute. Hey, Al Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it tastes good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code SCOTT and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. Hey, Al Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. All right, y'all, welcome back. You know what? I'm not going to play the rest of that. That's one good segment. That's most of all the best stuff in it, if I remember right. There's a few different versions of the speech. There's Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break the Silence, Full. I believe it's different. This one is from April 30th, and I believe Beyond Vietnam is from the beginning of April 1967, earlier. This is the one with the better audio. And, uh, anyway, I could be wrong about that. I might be confused. This may just be an excerpt of the other one or something. Anyway, I ain't no damn MOK scholar, I'm just saying. You can go look it up on YouTube. That's where I found it. Um, the one with the somewhat kind of green background of the picture of him. That's the one I was playing, if you're looking for it. Uh, why I am opposed to the war in Vietnam. That's what it's called. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, rather than just continuing to play that, I wanted to mention Tom Knapp's article that we're running on antiwar.com today, which I like the sarcastic attitude in the title. King for a day. The rest of the year, not so much. And it's about how, you know, one day a year everybody pretends to care about MLK and his legacy and then forget again. And what a bunch of hypocrites the right and the left are, especially. Um, he says, you know, 
the the Republicans uh, love the uh, a day when people will be judged uh, not by their color of their skin, but the content of their character. That's great. And then they get right back to finding new ways to keep African-Americans from voting, Knapp says, which is, of course, true. <laughs> no question about that. Oh, no, they're really afraid that ISIS is going to sneak across the Mexican border and vote for Democrats. Yeah, no. American blacks vote for Democrats. When they vote, they vote usually in the high 90-something percents for Democrats. Wonder why. I mean, actually, you should wonder why. What have Democrats ever done for blacks? Give me a break. But uh, it's pretty obvious why they think that the right are their enemies, you know, the political right. Not much of a mystery there, but anyway, um, uh, so Tom Knapp is certainly right about that to point out what hypocrites the right are on that. Uh, and then he says, and Democrats will highlight, uh, MLK's support for voting rights and, uh, name check King's final effort, the poor people's campaign, even as Knapp says here, even as they inveigh against the gun rights that made the civil rights movement possible which he links to an NPR story, but you can also find great work at uh, Reason Magazine and other places about that. And against the emerging sharing economy that's freeing and empowering America's working poor without any help from government. He's absolutely right about that, uh, about both of those things. On the other hand, I think it's important to point out, too, that, um, you know, somebody like me who's a libertarian... Or somebody who's a conservative who says, hey, I'm not no racist. I like King's uh, judge everybody on an individual basis sort of thing or whatever. Uh, well, they shouldn't ignore his anti-war stuff. And none of us should ignore the poor people campaign. You know, it's unfortunate that Martin Luther King was some kind of socialist or, you know, leaned that way. But, you know, come on. Other than libertarians who actually, you know understand a little bit of Mises and that kind of thing. Everybody else is stuck in this left-right nonsense. Everybody who cares about the little guy, not everybody, but more or less, people who care about themselves are conservatives, and people who at least pretend to care about everybody else are liberals. That's how it works. And it's unfortunate he wasn't able to escape that, but he's hardly the most guilty person of falling into that trap. And, of course, caring about the poor in no way should belong to socialists since, of course, they're the greatest creators of poverty on the face of the planet. Um, you know, you need capital for investing in stuff, guys, so you can make more stuff so that people can have stuff. That's sort of how it works, you know, with the whole thing there. <clears throat> um, but, you know, libertarians, well... Those of you who have any money anyway uh, ought to care a lot about, you know, charity for the poor and and all of us, you know, can make time to uh, to volunteer and, and help poor people in voluntary ways that don't require government intervention at all. It's unfortunate that government basically tells people you don't have to worry about it. We're taking care of it and incentivize people into being cold and not caring about those who just aren't very equipped for whatever reason with dealing with this world for illness or disability or stupidity or whatever their problem is, you know. There are people like that. What are you going to do? Um, and they should be helped. I mean, what they really need, what we all really need, is sound money and freedom. And then even the poor of us will have 
a high enough standard of living, then they don't even mind. That's what we need. Peace, stability, and freedom. And an end to the government-generated boom-bust cycle that pulls the rug out from everybody who can ever even try to get a leg up in a growing economy in this country when, oh, whoops, sorry, that wasn't a growing economy. That was a bubble. Now land on your ass, break your back, and then try to get back up again. And anyway, uh, that's what we need is freedom. What we need is libertarianism and individualism. That's the best way to care for the poor. It creates so much damn wealth that there's so much wealth. Uh, we don't need socialism. And it's too bad that MLK, uh, bought into that, but, uh, we shouldn't ignore, uh, that part of it. Even as the left who celebrate that part should not ignore, uh, MLK's gun ownership and that of the black ministers who, you know, travel with him. Otherwise, they'd have been shot and killed, see? That's why they had rifles to keep the Klan at bay, cause who was gonna protect them? The Sheriff's Department? <laughs> Get it? That was how they secured their liberty was not by killing people, but just by having rifles and showing that like, hey, ah, ah, come at rifle, come at us with rifles because we also have rifles. It's a wonderful deterrent. You can read in Dred Scott. I swear this is true. If you read in Dred Scott, the Supreme Court decision that says, well, black men must not be free because, uh, well, that's part of the actual post hoc rationalization. If if black men are free and own themselves in the proper sense, then that means that they would have the right to bear arms. And I know that we don't think they've got the right to bear arms. Black men, no way, said Justice Tawny. Tanny, Tanny? How do you say it, man? I only ever read it. I think it's Tawny. Uh, what a jerk. <laughs> and it's right there in there. I know you're not saying black people are really free, because then that would mean that they have the right to defend their own life with violent force? I mean, that's crazy talk. The most uh, notorious Supreme Court decision in American history right there, Dred Scott. And anyway, uh, that's part of the reasoning. Uh, Tom Knapp's got a great point there. And then what was the other thing that I like to say here is just, oh, and then he says, and everybody, right and left, they ignore... Uh, his, you know, invocations against the war in Vietnam and against militarism. And, you know, he talked in that part of the speech I played there about the poverty program and, you know, job training programs and welfare and how that got taken away. But same difference. It's still hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars now in inflated 21st century uh, dollars, trillions of dollars just completely destroyed unavailable for investing in things like, uh, yeah, providing goods and services to poor people at prices they can afford. Instead, that money is killing, as he says, other poor people. Far away. And anyway, so... I don't think it's much of a mark against him that he's a socialist. As you guys know, I interview socialists and liberals and progressives on the show all the time because what matters is the wars. And what matters is the truth and the news. And you know what? If somebody's deviation from freedom and peace is that they're for the welfare state, well, I think that's ignorant and, and frankly aggressive, and I resent it. Uh, but, you know, come on. 
It's not as bad as being a nationalist warmonger, is it? Really? Yeah, it's kind of a domestic war. Yeah. Taxes or violence, it's horrible. It is. I'm not saying that, but, you know, I think Ron Paul set a great example when he ran for president, especially, you know, wait, the way he made it so clear that I'm a libertarian, man. I'm against all of this stuff. But I'll tell you what, I'll call truce on the welfare state. Well, you still want to give young people the ability to opt out of uh, Social Security, which was good. But otherwise, he said, we'll call truce on the welfare state, but we got to abolish the empire in order to shore it up and pay for it. Does that sound like a fair deal? You know, in the medium term or whatever, what libertarian could argue with that? So that's the way I look at MLK, too. You know what I mean? Anyway. I got news, man. I got wars to cover for you after this. Oh, and politics. Somalia. Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Yeah, I got to delete some emails here, blah, 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 blah. All right, so, uh, yeah, what am I going to talk about now? I'll tell you what. I'll give you a little bit of news. I finished over the weekend. I finished, finally. I know, it should have been done a long time ago. I finished the book proposal. Uh, I still have to go over it one more time. It's really kind of long with all the chapter summaries and this kind of thing. Uh, I still have to go over it one more time before I send it off to Tom. And then I guess we'll see, you know, what all Tom wants to do with it before we send it off to the literary agent dude. But. Anyway, work in progress. And what I showed myself over the weekend was I'll be able to knock this thing out pretty quick because I already know what all I want to say. And mostly the problem with it is all my chapter summaries are too long and I had to decide to stop making points in too many places and just move on with the thing because it's not the chapters. It's just the summaries for the proposal. But fleshing each one of those out into a chapter each and all that is going to not be difficult. Well, it's it may be difficult, but I already know what it's supposed to say or whatever. It won't be difficult. It'll be fine. Um, however, uh, I have a serious stupidity in my brain, which makes it to where it's very difficult for me to reread what I've written, especially more than one time or two times or, you know. By the time I'm on the third or fourth time and I'm looking at something that I put there in the first place, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. My eyes start twitching and I get hungry, distracted. 
Can't stand it. I just can't stand it. It's like listening to music that I can't stand. I just can't stand it. Turn it off. Get me out of here. It's like that. I just can't do it. So it makes it very hard to write when I really need to be able to go back over it and fix it up and make it better all the time, you know? So luckily Tom has actual talent for writing, and so maybe, you know, it'll be all right by the time the whole thing's finished. That's the plan. That's one of the good parts about teaming up with Tom Woods on this project. Although, you know, I ain't that bad of a writer, really. I sent the thing to a couple of friends for corrections, and yeah, they made a few, but then they were like, yeah, it was pretty good. So, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I know, I should have done it a long time ago. Now I've done it. All right. Uh, oh, you know what? I almost plum forgot. Did you watch the debate last night? The Democrats debated last night. All right. Okay, first of all, I'm completely against all of them, so in case you don't know me, don't get anything I say wrong, like any point I make is in service of any other side or any of that crap. Uh, I just like seeing Hillary Clinton suffer. And what's funny is, is, um, <laughs> she's such a horrible person, you know? And sometimes, Especially when I got all these computer screens here, where I have to force myself to even look at her. She's just so gross and just so repellent, and her and her voice is becoming like Sarah Palin's voice in my ear, where it's just like this needle in my eardrum. Just oh, please hurry up and stop talking soon. Just ah, oh, and I'm not being sexist. This is a very individual thing about Hillary. Well, and Sarah Palin for that matter, and Hillary Clinton. Just. The statist voice, it perturbs me, man. That's all I'm saying. And anyway, last night, the whole frame of the whole thing was, wow, look at the polls, especially in the two that matter right now most, New Hampshire and Iowa. Bernie Sanders is neck and neck. He smells blood. Everyone does. Everyone's looking at her and going, man, you're blowing it again. That was the reference of the entire introduction of the thing, you know? O'Malley was just a distraction and a sideshow, basically. Helped undercut her in a couple of places, I thought. Well, I don't know if he really hurt Sanders at all. But so, the thing of it was, so Sanders is going after her, and she's just on the defensive about every single thing. And Sanders has decided that he wouldn't before, but now he's going to go ahead and say, she gives speeches to Goldman Sachs for hundreds of thousands of dollars. What do you guys think that means? And stuff like that. Man! He's really attacking her on some of that stuff. Now, unfortunately, he's horrible on the war. I mean, he's just, you know, he's like Rand Paul, only yells it. Oh, yeah, I absolutely support Obama's policy of bombing him from the air forever and then someday hiring the uh, Iraqi army or the Kurds or somebody to do the fighting for us on the ground or whatever. Agreed with her claim. We all know she'll send in, you know, come on, she'll send in the infantry. Um, you know, but he's making, Sanders making the same claim as her, only yelling it. And then that was the problem with him is he was smelling blood, but instead of going after and kind of like subtly sliding a knife in, in a few places, he's like ranting and raving and seeming like, geez, I don't know about this guy personally, right? It, it, he, he took 
focus off of what he was saying and the focus became more like, geez, why don't his aides ever comb his hair? And why, why does he seem so upset? And you know what I mean? He's changing the subject. So that was, that was, uh, where Sanders was really, you know, failing, I think. But as far as portraying her as untrustworthy and eminently bribable and all of that kind of thing, I thought he did a pretty good job. And I think, she did a terrible job of pretending like no big deal. She's holding it together. She is absolutely under pressure the whole time. And I swear to God, there were two times, maybe three. It's certainly there were two times where she almost lost her train of thought. And you could see her brain going, oh, shit. What was I going to say? Oh, God. Oh, God. And then like, oh, and then she came up with it. And I'm familiar with that because that happens to me on the show sometimes when I'm like, I have to figure out a way to end this sentence right. I'm sure you guys here. It. Um, it happens to me, so you know I do a lot of talking out loud. So I I could totally tell what was going on. Where she was saying so much in the in the build up to what she was going to say that she couldn't remember what the hell she was going to say anymore, and because she, she was so distracted by the stress and the pressure of being, you know, on the defensive as the maybe you're not so good candidate after all kind of thing going on there. It was just hilarious. That's my point. I liked watching it. Uh, God forbid either any of these people become our president. I mean, geez, I don't know, man. If you had to throw darts at a board, could you even try to hypothesize which presidential candidate at this point would be the least harmful? I know many of you want to say Rand. I don't know. No, I don't know, man. I guess I could try to kind of pretend to concede that a little bit, but, eh. but you know, I don't know, man. All these guys are just, and you know, Sanders too. He's so certain. If you listen to him explain, he's gonna have the Saudi army invade Iraqi and Syrian Sunni stand to get rid of the Islamic State. Really? What is he even talking about? And that's like the kind of thing that some Republican would say, just have a thing to say, because he knows that the people listening have no idea what he's talking about, and it doesn't matter. The Saudi army. I'll tell you who fights Saudi's wars for him. The U.S. army. And who's bankrolling the Islamic State all the time. The Saudi princes. And... You know, their military is a national guard for domestic suppression purposes only. Their air force does slaughter Yemenis on a, you know, daily basis for the last year, but even that's with America holding their hand to every target. But anyway, um, and then on Syria, I mean, at least Sanders was talking about the real world, where he was saying, look, Assad's a butcher, man, he's horrible. But, well, and he said the priority must be destroy ISIS, which I disagree with. But at least he was saying it doesn't make sense to seek regime change in Damascus, which Hillary Clinton is still for. I hope I'm not paraphrasing her wrong. It doesn't really matter what she says. We all know what she thinks anyway. What she was for when she was the Secretary of State, what she tried to get Obama to do, even worse than what he did do. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. 
Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Hey, all Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com Me. All right. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. All right, man. Coming up, Jason Leopold. Talk about this important CIA case here. Uh, God help me. I forgot what I was going to say. I had a whole thing I was going to say. That's all right. I'll just talk about Somalia instead. 63 Kenyan troops killed as Al-Shabaab overruns Somalia base. Al-Shabaab says they captured dozens of military vehicles and the town. This is uh, Jason Ditz writing at news.antiwar.com. News.antiwar.com. The southwestern Somali town of El Ada. Oh, 80? Ada? Ada? And the adjoining African Union military base were overrun today, with Al-Shabaab launching a suicide attack to open the gate into the base and then forcing their way in and overwhelming the Kenyan troops. Death tolls aren't totally confirmed, but Al-Shabaab claimed to have killed 63 Kenyan troops. And the Kenyan government so far hasn't contested that account, instead praising the troops for their bravery in standing and fighting in the ultimately losing battle. Locals report that Al-Shabaab's flag is flying over the military base, and the group's fighters are all over the place in the town as well, parading the bodies of slain Kenyans through the streets in celebratory parades. What a nice little tradition they have there. In addition to taking the base and having control over the town, Al-Shabaab reported it had seized a large number of armored vehicles and trucks from the base. The group says it is using the vehicles to hunt down the remaining Kenyan troops who did flee. Goodness. Well. Ah, what a disaster. That war in Somalia, man. That's one of them doesn't have to be that way kind of deals. Uh, and then in Burkina Faso, there was an attack. The death toll climbs to 29. Uh, I'm sorry. A friend sent me a link to... A good reporter to talk to. Oh, I think this was it. This was the guy. The AFP guy. Um, but anyway, three jihadists, supposedly. Um, an attack on a hotel. They killed 29, injured 30. Um, 18 different nationalities of victims there. I wonder who all. That's, that's a hell of a thing. So I know you're wondering, like me, well, where the hell is Burkina Faso? So what you do is you right-click on the term there, highlight it, and right-click, ah, search Google for this, and then, blam, it'll show you a map right there. Oh, there it is. Guess where? Directly due south of Mali, of northern Mali, where Barack Obama brought jihad in 2011, 12, 13 through now, yeah. 
Uh, it's already spread to Niger and Chad, along with our drone bases, interestingly enough. I don't know if they even had an excuse for putting the army in Cameroon, but I think they pretended to call that, uh, you know, Mali and jihadists or, or Libyan ones, uh, out of Mali. But, uh, looks like more backdraft from the Libya war here. Uh, and anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the cool thing about the terror war, man. You can look at it in the larger sense or in any particular battlefield sense. You can see it's the same damn thing over and over again. It's like a fractal, you know? You zoom in and it's just more of the same damn thing, writ large and writ small. Look how the terror war works. Americans kill a bunch of people and then they go, ah, people who don't like it when we kill them. And then they kill them some more. And then a new force rises up against them. With enough power to cause problems for other people, too. And then we go, oh, no. Look at what a problem has broken out. We better do something about it. And they're just killing people and killing people and killing people. Where do you think Al-Shabaab comes from? Right, of course. George W. Bush created them. Not deliberately in the CIA conspiracy sense, but in... The, I, I should put it like this. Not in the Israel-created-Hamas sense, you know, deliberately, but more in the Israel-created-Hezbollah sense. It was the result of their occupation of Lebanon, of their intervention in Lebanon. Same thing here. Uh, the U.S. created al-Shabaab. Not in the Israel-created-Hamas sense, but in the Israel-created-Hezbollah sense. They were the smallest, weakest, least influential part of the Islamic Courts Union, which was basically the weakest pseudo-government in the in probably all of Africa, even. Uh, that was no threat to anyone. Until the U.S. invaded and destroyed the entire Islamic Courts Union, except ah, the last man standing, the youth. Al-Shabaab means the youth. The smallest, weakest, influential part of the Islamic Courts Union, which was run by the old men, were the young men who had rifles and knew how to use them and could fight the Ethiopian army that George Bush sent to invade and kill and rape everyone and kill them again some more. And so Al-Shabaab became the force that rose up to fight the Ethiopian, American slash Ethiopian invasion of Christmas 2006 uh, and 07 and on through. And now they're a problem for everybody. And who's ever going to do anything about it? I don't know. I just, Sometimes I try to pretend I'm a Republican and just think for a minute, okay, what do these guys really believe? What is it we got to do? If you listen to Ted Cruz or any of these guys, what, what's their point, man? And to accomplish what it is they say they want to accomplish, I mean, I still don't think it's possible, but, you know, anything that you would want to, you could be able to characterize as a real college try to destroy Islamic extremism or radical Islam or all Islamic groups anywhere who dare resist America then the project, you know, would require 
for starters, conscription and the raising of a 10 million man army in a full scale invasion and occupation of at least, you know, Nigeria and then a gigantic clockwise sort of uh, loop from there across North Africa and through Mali and Libya and for that matter, the Sinai in Egypt. Uh, occupy, you want to occupy Gaza? We could occupy Gaza. We could invade and occupy Iraqi Shiistan and the new Islamic State as well. Depose Assad and occupy all of Syria. Bomb Tehran and take over Persia. Topple Riyadh and wipe out all the crazies there on the Arabian Peninsula. Might take more than 10 million men army. Had the Federal Reserve print the money. Is that really the plan? Is that the only option we've got left? <laughs> hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Our guest today is our good friend Jason Leopold. He's the author of the books Off the Record, The Other Abu Zubaydah, and News Junkie. Uh, of course, he writes for Vice. And uh, yet yeah, this one is for Al Jazeera, america.aljazeera.com, written way back in uh, June of 2014, actually, uh, is going to be uh, the story we're talking about today. But it's relevant because of the new news and all of this and that. Welcome back to the show, Jason. How are you? Doing well, Scott. Thanks. And uh, just uh, as, a, as a note, uh, I've written follow-up stories, including one last week on uh, the individual we're going to speak about for Vice News. You know what? Say that again, man. I'm sorry. I didn't have my ear goggles on here. Oh, the uh, the, the, the story you're referring to in Al Jazeera uh-huh. uh, about Sabrina Disease, I've actually written some follow-up stories oh. about her uh, for uh, for Vice News oh, okay. uh, over the past few weeks. In fact, I also produced a, a documentary about her case, her efforts to clear her name uh, over here at Vice News. Oh, uh, man. I'm way behind started, on your work then. I'm, I'm very sorry about that. That's okay. We uh, we started out at Al Jazeera America and just kind of followed it along as I made my way here. And, and uh, yeah, a lot to talk about. Well, and I think this Al Jazeera piece, I'm pretty sure I interviewed you about it at the time. Uh, I certainly yeah. remember reading about it. And it's a very yeah. important story. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Let me shut up and let you tell the story to the people about what happened here and what's her role in it and what the hell is going on and why anybody cares. Sure. Well, you know, this is a, a story about... Uh, 
uh, a rendition, a notorious rendition that took place in February of 2003 uh, in Milan. A uh, rendition that was jointly conducted, uh, uh, well, it was actually conducted by the CIA with the cooperation of Italian, Italian uh, intelligence services and, and Italian uh, police. Uh, it was the rendition of a radical cleric uh, known as Abu Omar, uh, whose fiery anti-American speeches after 9-11, you know, caught the attention of the CIA. Uh, he was rendered to uh, Egypt. He's an Egyptian. Uh, and uh, he said that he was brutally tortured there uh, in Egypt. He... Uh, was released some time later, gave an account of what of what took place, but um, he was also under investigation in Italy and under under investigation for uh, what was believed at the time to be his efforts in, in recruiting uh, uh, jihadists. That's uh, that's how the uh, uh, Italian authorities described it: uh, jihadists to go over to Afghanistan and Iraq to you know fight Americans. Um, uh, the Italians undertook, uh, Italian uh, authorities undertook an investigation into his disappearance. Uh, what they found was that this was um, a rendition uh, conducted illegally. You know, they refer, the, 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 the lead prosecutor in the case called it a, a kidnapping, uh, violated Italy's sovereignty, and that uh, 26 Americans, most of whom were CIA uh, officers, uh, were responsible for it. Uh, one, and they were all uh, later indicted, con- uh, prosecuted, and convicted mm-hmm. for this rendition. Uh, one of those officers... In absentia, uh, right. In absentia, right. yes. Uh, none of them ever served any any jail time. One of the officers um, is a woman named Sabrina D'Souza. She has been, uh, for the past 10 years, trying to clear her name uh, for being tagged in this rendition. She said she, has no, she had nothing to do with it. Uh, she was a translator uh, between uh, the uh, Italians and the CIA snatch team early on, but then was later what she said, you know, kind of cut out of the operation, and, 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 and on the day that it took place, she was uh, chaperoning a ski trip for her son, for which she said she can, you know, she can prove with receipts and... and uh, other evidence. Uh, but it became, this rendition just became a huge, huge embarrassment for, you know, for the U.S., uh, who to this day is not, it is not, not acknowledged that it even took place, uh, and uh, inflamed tensions between, uh, you know, the U.S. and Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, in her quest to clear her name, uh, Sabrina D'Souza, who has since resigned from the, from the CIA, uh, and by the way, she was also operating under diplomatic cover when she was working in Italy, so she was officially listed as a State Department employee. But in her quest to clear her name, she has kind of, um, you know, been, been disclosing some information, you know, over the years about, you know, what took place uh, and why it took place and raising some questions about uh, the fact that it was, you know, or, or, or declaring that it was illegal. And so in her effort to clear her name, she took off last year for Portugal. Uh, she happens to hold um, uh, dual citizenship. She has a, uh, 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 she's a Portuguese U.S. citizen. 
And she took off for Portugal in hopes of hooking up with some human rights lawyers and a member of European Parliament who's been very, very outspoken about Europe's role in the CIA's rendition program. That's uh, Anna Gomez. And uh, I met with her out in uh, uh, Portugal uh, along with um, some, members, some, some members of our, of our news team here. Uh, we filmed a documentary with her about her, her efforts, what she was trying to do to clear her name. Um, a few days after we met with her, uh, she went, and, and by the way, let me, I'm sorry, digress a moment. There's, there's an active European arrest warrant out for her and all of the other CIA officials, officers who were, uh, who were indicted. Uh, so her travel, she traveled to Portugal through Morocco. So, uh, knowing that there was this European arrest warrant. After I met with her, uh, in, in Portugal, uh, she uh, went to the airport there in Lisbon and uh, was getting ready to board a plane to visit her mother in India uh, for her birthday, and um, she was detained. Uh, she was detained and uh, forced to uh, turn over her, her passport, um, while Portugal, a uh, Portuguese uh, judge, decided or determined whether or not she should be extradited to Italy uh, to uh, serve a sentence. She was sentenced in absentia to uh, to seven years in prison for uh, on kidnapping charges. And uh, what happened was last week, a judge uh, uh, in this case uh, uh, decided that um, yes, Sabrina de Souza, despite the fact that she's also a Portuguese citizen, uh, needs to be extradited to Italy. And uh, that is basically, you know, what's happening now. What was very interesting, by the way, um, is out of the blue, uh, right around Christmas time, some news broke that Italy, uh, the president of Italy, was um, was going to pardon, uh, gave a full pardon to one of the CIA officers who was involved in this rendition. Um, this just came out of out of the blue. No one expected it. And gave a partial pardon, basically, which amounted to a reduced sentence, to the CIA station chief in Milan. His name is Robert Lady, uh, uh, who was sentenced to, I believe, nine years, and that was reduced to seven. So um, this is really kind of, uh, you know, surfacing uh, on the surface. It's, 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 it's this case, which is, you know, going on 13, next month will be it's 13 years old. This case is still. Um, a major source of strife between the U.S. and Italy, and now Portugal's involved. And now, with the uh, uh, ruling that, that Sabrina de Sousa should be uh, extradited to Italy, it threatens to reveal new information uh, right. about exactly what happened. All right. Well, so uh, we'll stop right there and take this break, and then when we get back, I guess we'll pick it up from there, and then follow-up questions it's uh, the great journalist Jason Leopold on the story of Sabrina D'Souza, the CIA officer being extradited to Italy to serve time for conspiracy to torture a man. Well, kidnap him. 
you hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, y'all, guess what? You can now order transcripts of any interview I've done for the incredibly reasonable price of two and a half bucks each. Listen, finding a good transcriptionist is near impossible, but I've got one now. Just go to scotthorton.org slash transcripts, enter the name and date of the interview you want written up, click the PayPal button, and I'll have it in your email in 72 hours max. You don't need a PayPal account to do this. Man, I'm really going to have to learn how to talk more good. That's scotthorton.org slash transcripts. All right, well, before the show, I was in a hurry to reread the one I'd read before from a long time ago, and it escaped my attention that, of course, Jason has stayed on this story all along. Um, if I can try to sum it up very quickly here, uh, the CIA kidnapped this guy, Abu Omar, in Italy back in, uh, what was it, 2003, and she was just barely in on it, but indicted with the rest of them. And uh, in trying to clear her own name, she basically blew the whistle on the CIA guys who put her up to it and, and that she worked with on the thing. And um, But then she made what seems like, and I'm sorry, you can get back to your train of thought after the break if you can remember where we were. But I'm curious, Jason, uh, Jason Leopold, who's written a ton of this for ViceNews.com, Sabrina D'Souza is her name. Uh, why did she go to Portugal? I mean, obviously she had reason to go to Portugal, but didn't yeah. she have a lot of reason to not go to Portugal? I mean, sorry, mom, I'd like to hug you, but we got Skype. But if I go there, they're going to put me in prison. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I asked her about that. And in, in the, uh, uh, when she was detained in the in last October, uh, and I wrote about it, uh, you know, I asked her that question and she said that she knew she was taking a risk. She was well aware of it. Uh, but she wants to, you know, what she said, she wants to live freely again. She actually wanted to settle in Portugal, um, completely disillusioned with, you know, with the U.S., uh, with the way she's been treated by the U.S. government. Uh, you know, she sued the State Department uh, for failing to uh, invoke diplomatic immunity, which she said she was entitled to. Uh, so she wanted to, uh, you know, to, to uh, settle down in Portugal. Uh, and uh, she was well aware of the risk that she was taking. Uh, but she also had a plan. Her plan was to, uh, to, to work with a member of European Parliament in Portugal um, in, in an effort to clear her name. And, you know, l- let me just say that this prosecution, although it was in absentia, remains to this day the only successful prosecution, mm-hmm. the only prosecution involving... Uh, CIA officers uh, in connection with the, you know, uh, so-called rendition, detention, and interrogation program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and next month, Italy, Italy uh, the president of Italy is uh, coming to the U.S. to meet with President Obama. And uh, it's my understanding that this issue, this this rendition, uh, and Sabrina's case, Sabrina's uh, Sabrina's case, will be one of the topics to discuss. So. Her years-long effort, decade-long effort to clear her name may actually pay off, uh, and she may actually end up with that pardon. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that politically speaking, the Italians, if she can play it right, they might like to use her to make a point against the rest that like, no, we're not going to go after the least involved of the involved here at the expense of the others. But then again, like you're saying, they've already made a deal to let the station chief and the and the top leaders of the plot go free, right? So, Yeah, well, you know, the station chief, he's not exactly free. I mean, he had, this was a guy who also wanted to, you know, settle down in Italy. He had a villa there that was seized. Uh, and uh, the other one who was, the, the woman who was, who did receive a full pardon, um, you know, basically, what the, what the president of Italy said in a statement, she wasn't really involved. What was really interesting about the you know rationale behind coming out for these you know coming, uh, announcing these pardons now, uh, President Italy said that uh, well you know President Obama uh, ended the extraordinary rendition program and that's why he's doing it. That's not exactly true. We still you know this, this administration under you know. Uh, under, not the same the way that uh, you know George W. Bush did it. Well, now stop for a second here because I think I think people may not know the difference between this, that, and the other thing. There's a difference between the CIA and and their own black sites in different countries torturing people, and whereas the extraordinary rendition program means something that's, that's else, true. it means yeah. exporting them to third countries to be tortured on our behalf, basically. Right. That that that's right. And uh, yes, there's a there's a major difference. So. So and I'm not said, saying you know, that the CIA is definitely not torturing somebody at black sites somewhere, because I don't know that that's true. All I'm saying is that I'm trying to make sure that everybody's on the same page what we are talking about here. Right. There is a difference between you know what's called extraordinary rendition and 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 uh, uh, and, and just rendition. Uh, so uh, you know, so so it's interesting. What's 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 amazing, Scott, is that this case, you know, this, this issue about uh, you know the rendition of, of this cleric. Uh, has you know been written about extensively uh, for you know for for years for 13 years. Uh, you know, Sabrina D'Souza shared a number of documents with me um, that she's obtained actually through the Freedom of Information Act, and uh, you know, in the form of letters, uh, basically showing that uh, you know the CIA and intelligence officials told her to you know not worry, nothing will ever happen to her. Uh, that, uh, you know, just, just, just sit tight and, uh, this thing will blow over. And, you know, they were wrong, you know, on all counts. And then when it came down to, you know, trying to, uh, for her at least to, to, to get some, uh, protection, relief, um, you know, she was, uh, you know, what she feels is that she was, you know, she feels that she was thrown under the bus. And, uh, you know, this, this, as I mentioned, you know, when I was in Portugal, uh, last October, doing this documentary with her, I mean, there was some re- some revealing info uh, about um, you know about what she was trying you know to do at this point. But uh, it was, although she says she knew she was taking a risk, uh, being detained and now seeing this ruling that she should be extradited, um, what she says is it's completely you know unexpected. Her lawyer said that they're going to appeal. But obviously, you know, now this this threatens to, um, uh, to you know, fan the flames further. More information about the rendition could come out. Uh, you know, she is determined to, you know, to call new witnesses to uh, kind of uh, seek a new trial. Uh, and and clearly, that's not something that the, um, you know, that 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 this government, that the U.S. government. 
Nor Italy wants to see happen because Italy, as well, was you know as I mentioned, their own intelligence services were, you know, uh, officers were were involved in this. Um, so you know, again, this this torture program, rendition program, thirteen years later, you know, we're we're still uh, we're, we're still confronting it. And Abu Omar himself. Uh, which is very what was very interesting is when I spoke to the prosecutor who mounted, you know, uh, who, who took on who, who mounted this prosecution and took on this case. You know, what he said to me was, you know, that um, you know if the, if the CIA did not render kidnap Abu Omar, Abu Omar would be in a jail, would be in jail today. He would be in jail uh, uh, on terrorism. Uh, he would be convicted on terrorism charges. And uh, the fact that you know that that. Uh, that the CIA re- uh, rendered him, kidnapped him, and, and brought him over to Egypt, it actually uh, derailed the prosecution of uh, of other people who were working with Abu Omar that they were, you know, that they were uh, investigating. Um, so, you know, it's it's a very very complicated, tangled web of uh, of uh, uh, you know this, this post 9/11 fear where. Uh, that that the fallout just you know continues. Yeah. Oh, and, and what I was going to mention is that Abu Omar he he actually he was also um, uh, indicted and convicted uh, in absentia on those terrorism charges from back in 2003. But he's now suing the um, uh, he's now suing Italy uh, uh, in the, at the European Court of Human Rights, and uh, you know there was a hearing in his case last year. Uh, because basically what he's saying is, is that he has not been made whole. He's not been compensated for his suffering. And, uh, you know, an Italian court, um, in addition to agreeing that, you know, yes, he's prosecuted in absentia, also awarded him uh, 1 million euros. So he's saying that he hasn't been paid yet. So that's, um, you know, we're expecting a, a decision out of the uh, European Court of Human Rights on that soon as well. So as yeah. you can tell... Very complicated case here, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many different points to make here, and we're almost out of time, but it seems like something really important and something that you highlight in uh, at least that year-and-a-half-old uh, Al Jazeera article here was about just how hard, and I think you may have mentioned this a minute ago, just how hard she tried to go through the channels with all her whistleblowing, just like you're supposed to do when a whistleblower blows a whistle and everybody points their finger and accuses them of not doing it the right way. Boy, oh boy, did she try to go and check off every box and uh, and still got completely screwed in favor yeah, of her bosses. Indeed. Uh, anyway, and people can read that one. That's exclusive scapegoating the whistleblower. That's at Al Jazeera America. But then look at Jason Leopold's great Sabrina D'Souza archive. There's uh, quite a few uh, video and written pieces here at vice.com, news.vice.com. Thanks, Jason. You're great. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. See you all tomorrow.